Mary glorified is still a human being. Only God can hear prayer. Uh, the devil may be aware of what we're praying, but only God. And again, if you have all the millions of Christians on planet Earth at any one time, uh, can you imagine if everybody, if all of you tried to talk to me at once, two things would happen. I, you, I couldn't understand you, and secondly, I, I wouldn't be interested anyway. So, so there you go. All right, you're there. So question, all the silly stuff aside, John chapter 4, are we ready to pray? In John chapter 4, there's two aspects, aspects of this idea of being able to pray. And this is when uh, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. And uh, beginning in uh, verse 22, Jesus speaking to her says, Ye worship, you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father. And they're talking about how this happens. It has to be in spirit and in truth for the Father seeketh such to worship him. And it's repeated in verse 24. Jesus says, understand this. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. There's a condition. Now, God being God is being infinite and all-knowing. When anybody prays a so-called prayer, whether it be a believer or a Muslim or Islamic person or some, you know, tribal people in Aryan Jawa, is God always aware of that? Yes, because he's God. He's always aware of what anyone is saying at any time, and even they're directing prayer to their idea of God. He's always aware of that. But there's no relationship. By the mercy and grace of God, we have a relationship. And so there's various understandings of this, but it says, he says, now, when you're going to pray, there's two things that needs to be in part of this. Those that worship God, it, it must be the worship, must worship him in spirit and in truth. In spirit, it means, here's here an A word, uh, we must be spiritually alive. We must be born again. To have a relationship with him, our sin has to be forgiven. We have to have this relationship. And the only way we have a relationship with God is that he has drawn us to himself. He has convicted us. He's opened our heart like Lydia, and we pray from our heart, not just like a parrot speaking words, we are involved in our spirit, in our mind, in, in our emotions, and we cry out to God, and we admit to God that we know that we're a sinner, and we call upon Jesus to forgive our sins, to become our Savior. That's what makes us spiritually alive. That's the first criteria. When Jesus said that if you're going to worship God, if you're going to pray to him, it must be in spirit, you have to be spiritually alive, and in truth. Not only are we to be born again to be alive, but the idea of truth, we're given the word of God so we can do so accurately. One of the reasons why God gave us this Bible, as we know, you know, we would have never been able to figure out, we would have never been able to reason the smartest minds, the greatest theologians that would try to say, let's, let's put a book together about God. Let's tell the story of God. Wouldn't be the Word of God. 
It'd be something we'd put together down here, and no matter how much we wanted to honor God or try to say things, it's not the Word of God. This is theonoustos. This is the breath of God. This is the very life of God. That's what Paul tells us by the Holy Spirit. So understanding tonight that we have to have this relationship. And although it's important, I want to move on because even though, first of all, to be able to pray what we did tonight for it to be affected, every single last one of us in here tonight needs to be born from above so that we can accurately, biblical say, we are saved, we are believers. And we have the confidence that Jesus is our Savior, and that we leave this world either by death or through rapture, we will go home to be with our God. Those that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And although that's important, that's not my topic, not tonight. I want to go to the next word. I want to go to the idea of fellowship. Now understand this. I I hope I'm preaching to the choir. That is this. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ that's been initiated and kept by him, there's a lot of people that think they can lose their salvation because somehow they think their salvation is something that they're handling. God would never, ever, never, ever entrust your salvation to you. Never, ever. If there's any way you could lose your salvation, it'd probably take place about 20 seconds after you were born again. Whoops. Yeah. So, it's fellowship. And I preach this tonight, not primarily to you, I share these words with me. If a person behind the sacred desk, you better be the person, you you better be behind the sacred desk. You need to be, as God gives grace, to be surrendered, a desire to be humble, and a desire to serve. And somebody, I, I like this, somebody said, well, what are you going to preach tonight? And the person said, it's never a what I'm going to preach, it's who I'm going to preach. Because everything, all our what's are covered by who it is. With that in mind then, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 59. So I'd like to plant a seed tonight again to remind me and to remind you, my brothers and sisters, that this idea of prayer and true prayer and God-honoring prayer has to be based not only on a relationship that can never be severed, once you're saved, you can never be lost, but the fellowship's a different thing. You can be saved, but not be in fellowship with the Lord. We read it, we know that because he chastens us. He, he will discipline us. He's done that to me, and I want to tell you, he's very effective. You say, how's God going to get my attention? Let me share with you, if God wants to get your attention, he will do it. So we want to consider six things. I'm going to pick up a little bit of speed here. But the first one in talking about this matter tonight of my relationship, yes, but our fellowship, am I ready to pray? If there's ever a deficiency, it's not the Lord. The Lord's never going to say to Earl Burkow, now wait, don't, don't start praying to me yet here. I've, I've, I, uh, my heart's not right. I, I, got, I got to get you know, back where I need to be spiritually, and then I can talk with you. Well, no, God is always perfect, always holy, always love, never a deficiency. But I think we need to be careful and cautious as believers in our fellowship that we don't come to the Lord 
pastor's been using this word, that we don't come casually. We can come confidently. Hebrews talks about that. We can come confidently, but it never says come in a sloppy, casual way. I'm reminded, just real quickly, because I told you to turn to Isaiah chapter 59, but if you ever go back there to Deuteronomy, excuse me, not Deuteronomy, Exodus, and when the children of Israel come to the foot of Mount Sinai, and it's all up, you know, it's rumbling, it's smoke, it's fire, it's thunder, it's lightning and everything. And you know what God says to them? He, he says, now, uh, don't come too close. Moses is going to come up. I'll tell Moses to come up here, but you stay back. Don't get too close. If you go past this line, uh, no. And not only that, make sure those of you who are married and everything, uh, for right now, put aside your intimacy and relationship. And even make sure you wash your clothes. Have clean clothes. You get the idea that God is not coming like, hey, when it comes to praying to me, just come as you are and eat in your car. No, this is, this is not like going to Sonic or, you know, dog and suds. We're coming before God. And he loves us with an everlasting love. He says, Abba, but yet God always said, come confidently, but always come with a heart that is consecrated. You're coming, I'm your father, but never confuse me for the person next door. And please, please, please never refer to me as the man upstairs. Isaiah chapter 59, what is the first one when we're talking about? Number one, are my sins, if you're going to keep track, there's going to be six of these, are my sins confessed? Are my sins confessed? Isaiah chapter 59, I'm going to read the first two verses. What does it say in this fellowship? Am I ready to pray? Isaiah wrote these words, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. Is there anybody in this room who would say, there's never been a time when I came before God and maybe there was some unconfessed sin in my life? Remember with God, this matter of sin is not just the bad things that you're doing, the sinful things that you're doing. There's also the sin of omission where you're not doing the things he's commanded us to do. I would like to speak for all of us, although I can't, you know, you know what I'm saying. I can't speak for you. We all stand before the Lord one at a time. I'm just saying that we're all together in this. We're born from above. The Holy Spirit dwells within. But as of right now, nobody in this room is glorified. We're in that in-between stage, folks. We're not where we used to be. We're not lost. We're not on our way to hell. But we're not seated in heaven where we can no longer sin. We can choose not to sin, but sadly we can still choose to sin. And so I would just suggest for us, if we remember, as God would give us it when we have our devotions, to make sure 
I know we do this, and I used to do it when I was a pastor, and pastor does it here. I think it's altogether appropriate. Because we know in the book of Corinthians that when the saints in that day had the Lord's table, they were doing it in an unworthy fashion. Paul wrote that some had fallen asleep. God had called some of them home because they were doing something holy, but with their attitude towards the poorer people and the food and and everything they were doing, that misunderstanding of the spiritual gifts, their fellowship was abysmal. They were spiritually alive. They had the scripture, the scripture they had at that time that was God's word, give them accuracy. But in their fellowship with God and with each other, it wasn't where it should be. There was iniquity. And Isaiah is very clear here. He says, he knows exactly what you're saying. He hears every single word. But until you confess that sin, until you stop holding that little sin, and petting it, it's like it's a little puppy or a little bunny rabbit or something like that. Oh, this is my little pet sin here. God doesn't care. It's not as bad a sin as what you folks care. This is my little pet sin. Guys, oh, don't pray to me. I can't hear you. That's what it says. So I just got to move on with the time here. I can't stay on this too long. But I'm just tr- saying right at the beginning, as a moment of reflection, When I have my devotions with the Lord in the morning, get up in the morning and got the chair, got the light, got the coffee plugged in, pull out the scripture, my devotional time and everything, it would be wise, it would be wise for Mr. Earl Burkott to say, God, Holy Spirit, I ask you right now to show me, if lay on my heart, remind me as only you can, if there's something in my life that does not please you, that I will confess it so our fellowship can be restored and our prayer time can be sweet. I would ask you to think about that. Let's go to 1 John 1.9. 1 John 1.9, and then we'll move on and go down. 1 John 1.9. John here, of course, this is, we understand him. He was the youngest apostle. He loved the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus loved him, and John would rest his head on the breast of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had that sweet fellowship. And yet this very same John now, not as a young man, but now as an old man, verse 8, 1 John chapter 1, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. No sin. We say that we don't, you know, we're all, we're spot. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now there's that repentance where we say that we're sinners to establish the relationship of being born again. But this verse, and there's some dispute, discussion on that, but you can see in these two verses that he's talking to people like you and me. Talking about our fellowship. Same thing we were talking about. Like, make sure that when we as a believer sin, when God the Holy Spirit just, and he, he'll, you know this, if you're living for the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit's in you, 
Now, we can become coarse. We can become indifferent. We can become calloused. But pray God that he would chasten us and discipline us and work with us. That God the Holy Spirit would come to me and come to you and somehow communicate to you. And he can do it. Say, what are you doing? What was that all about? Why aren't you confessing that to me? No, don't, don't try to tell me that you're totally sanctified and you don't sin because you're a believer now. You know that's not true. So there you go. Are by sins confessed? Let's go to the second one. And this is one that I've had to deal with very much. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. Number one is, are my sins confessed? We just looked at that. Number two, are you ready to pray? Well, here's a question for you. Are my relations, are our relationships with others, whether it's within our family, at home, church, jobs, school, on the horizontal plane with fellow believers, with other people, are they right? Are they God-pleasing? I will tell you something about myself. It was more before I became a believer. But uh, I was a person who was fairly effective at keeping a grudge. Okay? Yeah. Got a grudge out at the rural king, brought him home, put him in a you know, big cage, and fed him raw meat every morning. <laughs> keeping a grudge. You know, would you like some meat? <laughs> okay. Grudge is hungry. You know a grudge? When I would have a grudge against somebody, I would feed it. What could I do to get even with them? They did this to me. <laughs> Dirty load down. I'll show them. Don't be sorry. <laughs> oh, buddy, you mess with the wrong guy. I know none of you have ever been there, ever. But you know, it doesn't have to be back when you're not a believer. Matthew chapter 5 is within belief because when you get saved, you have to think to yourself, now that I'm saved and I'm attending the We're All, Sweet, We're All Sweetums Baptist Church, every church I've ever been in, all churches have this in common. And that is, we're all saints, we all love one another, but we don't necessarily like each other. You say, oh, you know that's true. We all love each other, but we don't, you know, some people rub us the, old, the wrong way. You say, what do they do? <laughs> They're breathing. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, thou fool, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if thou bring any gift to the altar, I'm going to go and praise God, I'm going to worship him, and there remembered that thy brother hath ought against thee. Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First, make this a priority, folks, says Jesus. First be reconciled, that is, make peace to thy brother or sister, and then come and offer thy gift. You want to come and talk to me, says the living God? 
I am thrice holy, and you want to come up and, you know, I love you, God, you know, big hug and all this stuff. And he, he said, wait a minute, Burkhardt. What about this person at church that you gossip about him, you, you badmouth him, you don't want to, you, you, you know, you, if you see him coming, you try to get out of the way and all this stuff. Walking, talking, hypocrite, Earl. Same book, let's go over to chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. 6.14, for if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now I'm going to say something right here. I'm going to look up there at that fan. I'm not going to look at anybody. I'm just saying, you know and I know that in this church of Berean Baptist Church, we're all saved, we're all going to go to heaven. At least you know, as far as I know, we're all saved. I hope we're all saved. But there's probably somebody, if I'd ask you right now, Holy Spirit, would you please remind so-and-so in this service tonight, or they might be part of this church and they're not here tonight, but whatever, I'm just trying to say, that will you be honest with yourself, will you look in the spiritual mirror and there's someone you got a problem with? There's someone, if I was obedient, I need to make things right. It doesn't mean I'm always going to agree with this person with everything, but at least I should make the effort to go to them, to honor you, to give you glory, and to make sure as much as possible I can be on good footing with this brother or sister. Now, if that doesn't describe you here tonight, you may indeed be a brother or sister in Christ here tonight, that you don't have any kind of a, even a easy-weezy little bit of what this is talking about in your life. And if so, praise God, keep going. But I'm just trying to say here, is we prayed here tonight, and the book says, if you're going to pray to me, if you're going to get ready for prayer, God says, well, you prayed to me tonight. Well, what about this person over here? You know what you think about them. You, you know why you're angry with them. You know why you don't like to hang around them. The, this person, they just bug you. They irk you. Just something about you just rubs you the wrong way. Well, here's what God says. Oh, ignore it. Don't worry about it. Just sweep it under the rug, you know. I leave it at your doorstep. I know I preach about this because I'm preaching it to me because in my Christian life as pastor here and everything, there has always been times when I've needed to go to someone and talk with them and pray with them. And after I was done, I walked away and I said, thank you, God, for having me do the right thing. The right thing. Number three. Let's go to Luke chapter 22. Are we seeking his will in all things? Number one, are my sins confessed? Number two, are relationships with others right? And if you're going to Luke chapter 22, let me just throw this in on the one we just finished. (laughs) It goes both ways. Every single one of us will be on both words. There will be times when someone has truly done something wrong against you, or and you're going to need to forgive. And do you know why the Lord says you need to forgive? Because you're going to need to be what? What's the other word? Forgiven. Always be willing to forgive, because mark it down. You're going to pull some stunt. I know I will. If I want someone to forgive me, 
forgive them. Why? Well, if they come to me groveling, you know, I might be willing to, I'll think about that. Can't do that. Okay. Luke chapter 22. I've got to keep moving here. Are we seeking his will in all things? Luke chapter 22. Let's go down to verses 41 and 42. Now this is the model for all of us. This is the Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before the crucifixion. It says here, you know, he's, he's there. And he, being Christ, was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, I can't, can you even begin to imagine how this sounded, how he was racked in agony? Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. We could look at this one verse for the rest of our lives and we wouldn't even scrape the surface. His mission from the day in Genesis, in the garden, when God says one day I will send the seed, this has been the plan for 4,000 years at least. This is why he's come, but now it's facing him and his humanity he realizes that all the sin of all time is going to be hurled on him. And when that happens, his father is going to separate himself from Jesus Christ. He's going to abandon him. And that abandonment and that, that despair, that cry of dereliction, an agony we cannot even imagine. But yet he says at the end of it, that's my request, but Father, not about me. Thy will be done. I was telling somebody, believe it or not, just last night I felt a little bit about this. I was watching TV, I was having a fairly good time, and then somebody said, we have a report now of two races that we're calling. Hochul of New York has defeated the Republican challenger to the governor of New York. What? Hmm. And down to that up in Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer, who the last time I checked was green and riding a broom in The Wizard of Oz, has defeated Tudor Dixon. Not my will, but thine be done. I'm going to go to this one more time. I mean, there's all kinds of ways. Now, was just one thing. I went to bed last night, and I was thinking about, because I had had this all written up before, and I said, you know what? There's an application. Every single one of you has an application. When Jesus said, not thy will, he was thinking about the crucifixion and the dereliction. But for you to come to say, I am praying you, and to be able to say, Father, here's my request. Paul talked about the thorn in the flesh. You've got your own. But to be able to say from your heart to the Father, listen, here's what I would like. Here's what I think ought to happen. But Lord, I am your servant. All your judgments are righteous. And if you don't answer this the way I'm requesting, you know in my heart, that's okay. Because it's not about Earl Burkott. It's not about you doing what I want. It's about me needing to do what you want. And so when you're coming to prayer, God knows if we're a selfish little person, little conceited, and it's all about us. God knows about that. Please don't let that be there. Number four, are we, are we seeking to glorify and please God? What is our motive? Not just what we're doing, 
but why we are doing it. John 14, just go one gospel over, John 14, 13, and 14. John 14, 13, and 14. Jesus is speaking. Now, this is in the upper room discourse again. The crucifixion will take place the next morning or next or later in the morning. There, John 14, 13, and 14. <coughs> Excuse me. And whatsoever ye shall do in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. A lot of people can be clever. A lot of people can be slick. There's a lot of politicians out there. They can talk all day and never say anything. We can't play that game with God. When we're praying to God and we're requesting and, and things, he's going to know whether or not, why are we? What, what is the true motive? Are we seeking to glorify and please God? Number five, are we depending on the Holy Spirit's intercession? Let's go to Romans chapter 8. I'll have one more to go. Romans chapter 8. And this is one I read it, I believe it, but I would suggest that we'll, there's just no way that we can truly understand it. Romans chapter 8. 26 and 27. Now, you and I know the Holy Spirit dwells within us. We do pray. We try to play, pray theologically correct. It's our desire to pray biblically. And yet God's honest with us. Verse 26 there in Romans 8. Likewise, the Spirit, you know, the indwelling Holy Spirit, also helps our infirmities. In other words, we have some deficiencies. Why? Because we're not glorified yet. That we're not where we used to be, but we're not where we need to be. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. I know that's true. I'm glad that's there. But... As much as is possible, because we can make some quick decisions. We can be doing stuff, get up in the, you know, the day and get going, and we've got our responsibilities. We got do it. And, and the point of it is, am I, Earl, are you really dependent on the Holy Spirit's intercession? Are you really depending on God within you to direct you? Or are you just making the things, the decisions that you want to do, or you're on your own course and you're not thinking about how he's interceding if what I'm doing is God's will, but it's really what I'm doing. And that's all I'm going to say on that, because that's something there that's a very subjective thing. I, can't, I don't know your motive. I don't, you can say it, and you can talk and everything, but I don't know you, the inner you, but God the Holy Spirit knows it perfectly. Finally, finally, number six, we go back to the old prophet of the Old Testament, Habakkuk. Here's my corny line. You say, where's Habakkuk? It's where it's always been. Okay. Just about two years ago, when I realized that there was going to be a man in several days who was going to be made the president of the United States, and I just knew, knew, knew 
that I was not going to like the way that this gentleman was going to take the country, I looked at Habakkuk. And when you're there, I want to read two passages and then I'll close. Habakkuk chapter 2, 1 through 4. Habakkuk is mad because Israel, Jerusalem, Judah is not obeying God. And he's mad at God because he's saying, why don't you discipline these people? They're not obeying you. They're not doing what they're not worshiping you correctly. They're full of sin and greed. Why don't you thump them a good one? Why don't you discipline them and show them? And God gets back to Habakkuk and he says, you know what? I've heard that prayer and I am going to discipline you. Habakkuk says, good, how are you going to do it? I'm going to bring in the Babylonians and have them conquer you. It's like, what? They're more worse than we are, which means he was not an English teacher. We know that. He says, and God says this. So he, he says, I'm all upset. Now, here we go. Chapter 2, I've got to read it fast. He kind of tells the Lord off. He says, you know, well, you said we were special. You were going to take care of us. Yeah, well, that's yesterday news. You're going to bring in the Babylonians. They are bad news. So after he kind of rebukes God and tells God off, he says there in chapter 2, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. So here it comes. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. In other words, it's going to happen in the future. But at the end, it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, be patient, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. I shared this in and I close with it tonight, and then one verse in chapter 3. God is saying to back, you know what your problem is? You're living in your day, your age, you're thinking about your little short lifespan that you're consumed with this. You got this tunnel vision, your day, the Babylonians, what's going on? And everything is all about you. He says to Habakkuk, you have to have the big picture, a.k.a. eternity. And God says, listen, I will deal with the Babylonians. I will deal with the world. You don't have to worry about it. I will take care of things. And Habakkuk, you are a believer in me. And just, just wait for it. Be patient. Write down the vision. When the story, when the Bible's concluded, I will win. I will get all the glory. And as you're my servant, it's going to turn out okay for you, Habakkuk. Just Keep your eyes on me. That's always been good advice for me. The final thing then, when we get to chapter 3, beginning in verse 16, coming to the end, and I close with this, and I leave it for this idea, are we ready to pray? Here it goes. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear thou not, and to Zion, let not thine hands be slack. The Lord, am I in Zephaniah? I am. I'm looking at this. I said, that's not it. Okay. Ah! Verse 16. When I heard my belly trembled, my lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered into my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. Get that? I might rest, even though it's the day of trouble. When he cometh up unto the people, he will invade them with his troops. In other words, the enemies of God are not going to get away with anything. Now, here's the closing. Here's this man's heart. And brothers and sisters, may it be our heart always when we go humbly in a servant attitude to pray to our God. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive tree shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, 
and there shall be no herd in the stalls. It's going to be a day of disaster. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds feet, and he will make me to walk upon mine high places to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. He's saying the closing thing. There's a world out there that doesn't know God. Why don't we proclaim and publish and sing and let the world know that no matter what happens, we can pray and know and love and serve and have peace of mind every time we go and pray to our God because all his judgments are righteous. He knows what he's about. And in the end, we get the victory in Jesus Christ. Let's have a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for this time. We would pray for all of us that when we would pray to you, we would ask the question first, what's my heart like? What am I thinking? Am I angry? Am I upset? Am I at peace with everybody? As much as possible, go down the checklist and say, Earl Burkott, are you really ready to come before Almighty God, your Father and your Savior, and talk with Him? Because if you've got some issues within yourself or other people, take care of that first, and then really pray to your Savior God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, thank you very much. We are dismissed for this evening. Bye-bye.